You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome to the San Jose Hockey Now podcast, your trusted source for all things San Jose Sharks on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Bloor. Joining me as always is Editor-in-Chief of San Jose Hockey Now and my co-host, Shang Peng. Shang, how's it going? Still recovering from the massacre of my fantasy football semifinal <laughs> round, uh, my line of choices, Ayuk over AJ Brown, Matt Stafford over Patrick Mahomes, not getting Justin Jackson into my lineup somehow, and I lost by ten points, so I needed all the points I could get. Uh, still thinking about how CD Lamb managed to not score a touchdown when his team scored eight touchdowns in a game. Yeah, that's quite bewildering, there, Shang. I have no idea how that happened for you. You're going to be thinking on that one until next year's draft. I can promise you that. <laughs> My wife is very upset because the team is named Mushu's Minions. And so oh. I failed. Uh, not just my wife, but Mushu. Damn. That's unfortunate. <laughs> and for those of you that are listening and are wondering why I sound the way I sound, um, I've been a little under the weather the last couple of days. And my voice has, has taken quite the hit from the coughing and post-nasal drip, and, and God knows what else that I have going on Yep, it's on because uh, Nick also had fantasy football failure this weekend, and his voice went out yelling at the TV, right? Yeah, yeah, that, that's what we'll say. <laughs> that, that's it. <laughs> um, I, I've run out of honey. I've run out of tea. Like, I'm going to have to stop at the store tomorrow and fill up. Um, but, yeah, another unsat or a, a, a very disappointing loss in the semifinals. And I'm just competing for money back now at this point in my own league shang in my own damn league so <laughs> fear not though fear not i will recover next season so uh, much like hopefully my voice will recover by next week but um on this week's episode the, the matter at hand uh we're going to give sharks covid protocol news as, as well as some other updates and then we're going to ask the question a question that continues to come up uh, much like we did last last week with our our Bugner question is what is the point of the Sharks making the playoffs? So before we hop into it, we're gonna do what we always do. We're gonna note the time and date for everyone listening. It's uh, just after ten thirty on the 29th of December in the year twenty twenty one. And uh, if in, if there's any relevant news pertaining to this podcast that comes out after that date, we are not liable for any false information. <laughs> Happy um, uh, Martin Jones return to San Jose Day, guys, everybody. Yeah, when you're listening to this, Martin Jones will more than likely, I'd say it's about a 50-50 shot, he makes a, a start against the Sharks due to <laughs> Carter Hart being in COVID protocol as of now. So, um, And again, before we hop into it, a quick shout-out to our social media handles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at SJHockeyNowPod. You can follow the network at HockeyPodNet. And you can follow me at Nick Floor underscore Shing. 
You can follow me at Shang underscore Peng and find my work at San Jose Hockey Now and NBC Sharks. All right. So quickly getting into the current news before uh, Shang takes over, before my voice gives out. Um, current news as of right now is uh, Jonathan Dolan and Aiden Hill are both still in COVID protocol, as well as an unnamed staff member. Uh, we're looking for them to essentially produce two negative tests in order to get them back in the lineup. So expect a heavy helping of uh, James Reimer in the meantime. Don't expect uh, Sachenko to see the net uh, unless there's like dire circumstances. So, uh, Shang, you had an update actually on Rudolph Spalser's injury. Yeah, uh, actually update on all three of these guys. Um, Dolan and Hill actually were practicing before the Sharks today. They were separated, but they were practicing before the Sharks with Mike Potenza. Um, and apparently uh, they're uh, asymptomatic, all of them. And so at least at this point, and so they're able to do that. Uh, seeing Dolan out there cooperates with actually a report that I was going to give uh, right here, but uh, Dolan's appearance sort of supersedes it or um, basically, yeah, uh, cooperates it, I guess. Uh, but I had a source tell me that Dolan is doing well and shouldn't be gone for too much longer. And uh, speaking of uh, Balzers, Oh, actually, going back to Dolan Hill, too, actually, yeah. Uh, it was actually Bob himself that said that neither of them had symptoms. So I would think that that's good news for Hill, too. Uh, at least right now, Hill doesn't have symptoms. So so uh, can be so both can be back soon. And uh, update on Balzers. Uh, Balzers has been practicing uh, with the Sharks the last couple of days. He's been an extra on the, on the ice, so he hasn't been with any lines. Uh, he will not play tomorrow against Philadelphia or uh, today when you're listening to this. But uh, Bob says that it is very possible that he will play against Pittsburgh on Sunday. All righty. That's good news. Um, asymptomatic mainly because, uh, one myself going through COVID before, I know that the symptoms absolutely suck and that's uh, downplaying that as PG as I can. Uh, we also wanted to touch a little bit on world juniors as well. Uh, sharks not as, uh, affected by this. I, I could say the only player that's at world juniors. Right that's now a big that, player. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if there was one guy that mattered the most to us here at San Jose hockey now podcast, it would be the man, the myth, the legend, William Eklund, which, by the way, if you haven't seen or if you're not subscribed to San Jose Hockey Now, um, the my favorite article so far being a subscriber has been the William Eklund breaking down his own tape uh, article, um, just taking the time to read through that. So if you are subscribed and you haven't read that yet, make sure you go check that out on SanJoseHockeyNow.com. It's a part of the subscribers only. So you can see how William kind of breaks down what he sees during those amazing plays and those great passes that he's made. So make sure you go check that out. Yeah, uh, I appreciate the shout out. And funny thing about that piece, uh, I actually talked to William about it, obviously while he was still here with uh, in San Jose. And I talked to him um, after the, well, basically the, the, the day before the COVID outbreak against Winnipeg. Uh, you know, in late October. 
and it was the day before that and uh, we had regular availability with players that day and so i managed to get it in right right there otherwise uh william would have left and i would you know everything would have been uh zoom from uh you know this everything was zoom after the the winnipeg outbreak at least for the next uh, couple of weeks there um and so anyway i was able to get get that in with him uh, at that point uh lucked out there a little bit and anyway i held it a little bit because obviously he got reassigned i didn't expect that at the time uh, i don't think anybody uh, at least i don't think eklund expected that either and Anyway, uh, I held it a little bit uh, because such a great piece. I want to take my time with it. And also, too, I wanted to drop it at sort of uh, the, the right time. And the right time was uh, the World Juniors here. But uh, unfortunately, the World Juniors, of course, uh, canceled. There is talk that they may be able to resume it in the summer. I hope they do that. Uh, but just want to add one note about William Eklund. I spoke with his agent, Todd Diamond. And Todd said of William... And I quote, he is obviously disappointed, but he is realistic about it. And so anyway, uh, hopefully Eklund goes back to uh, your gardens and dominates, or hopefully he gets lost on, uh, on the way out of customs, uh, out of Canada and ends up in San Jose. So wouldn't that be something? Hey, I'm down for it. You know, emergency <laughs> Sharks need all the help up. they can get. So, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, speaking of the Sharks, and really, really quick to go back to Todd's uh, quote, disappointed but realistic. I feel like that's been William Eklund's entire tenure so far this hockey season. Um, you know, coming into the rookie face-off tournament mm -hmm. and, and then getting sent down, or I wouldn't say sent down, but reassigned to uh, back to the SHL. Disappointed but being yep. realistic. The Sharks that, held the cards there, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, that's just been his whole MO this season. So. I can't wait for for him to come back and just make an absolute statement next season because I think we both know it's going to happen. So hopefully Lucas Raymond-esque type of statement. <laughs> so um, that's what I'm looking forward to. But the the main topic at hand and what we wanted to talk about for this episode was the question that we stated previously, which is what's the point of the Sharks making the playoffs? And this kind of goes back to the the stealth tank of last year and getting William Eklund and uh, the, the bad contracts that the Sharks have essentially, well, I shouldn't say the Sharks, Doug Wilson has, you know, constrained the Sharks too. You know, what's, what's the actual point of the Sharks making the playoffs and why shouldn't they embrace the full ta uh, tank or why can't they embrace a full tank for higher draft picks? Shang, I'm going to, again, before my voice gives out, I'm going to let you take on and, interrupt when applicable <laughs> well and if i can say the stealth tank is a tm uh, our buddies at locked on sharks so correct uh, the competition but uh yeah i wanted to uh give them a shout out that is a catchy phrase and want to ask you before your voice goes out there nick uh if you want to answer it or i can answer it myself what yeah. do you think is the ceiling of this sharks team i don't think the the answer has changed much, much since the beginning of the season for myself. I always considered them a, a fringe playoff team. Mm -hmm. um, and and for, for the ceiling for me has always been if the Sharks were to make it into a wild card spot, either one or two, it doesn't matter. Um, I don't foresee them making it out of the first round, personally. Right. I just right. don't think they have the depth to compete with the top-end playoff teams that they would be facing 
if they landed into that wild card spot. Totally agree. And yes, anything can happen if you make it to the playoffs. So we don't want to ignore that. But yes. we're talking likelihoods there. This is not a cup contending team. Um, so anyway, to the question, the big question, what's the point of the Sharks making the playoffs? I talked to a couple of sources because I wanted to talk to a couple of team builders and just what do they what do they think of ideas like the tank tanking uh, of trying to go into a rebuild, trying to get rid of contracts, that sort of thing, right? Just people who are interested in team building and who have experience with it. And so one of my sources was a GM for multiple NHL teams. Another source is an up and coming NHL executive. So again, so two guys here that have experience with team building and you know, we talk about kind of the, we agree on the ceiling of this team. It's a team that even if it does make the playoffs, it's not likely to advance out of the first round. At least nobody would be picking them, I think. And of course, what happens is if you're in this sort of purgatory, this middle ground, right? What happens to your draft position? It gets worse. And so before we or we've talked about this team ceiling here and now now you realize of course or we know that you're going to get a worse draft pick if this team sort of meets its potential which doesn't doesn't sound that that great really here right but we have to be real about their cap situation and of course this has been talked about so much just all the long expensive contracts that they have uh both of my sources here uh asked them about Doug Wilson situation and of course fully acknowledge that Doug, Doug Wilson put himself in this situation. So there's no, uh, there, there's no uh, um, kind of going back on that, but what they both said was, and I quote, it's tough, which is hockey speak for Doug Wilson is fucked for the next few years. <laughs> <laughs> and both sources do not believe that this Sharks team can do a complete rebuild right now. You know, that's we're talking about stripping it bare, right? Because it's the contracts, right? The cost of stripping it bare, getting rid of contracts like especially Vlasic, Carlson, Kane, that would deprive you of the assets, the draft picks that you need to rebuild. So the assumption here is you're going to have to keep all or most of your veterans. And that's possibly, and we got to count the numbers here, that's possibly Couture until 2027, Kane until 2025, Carlson until 2027, Burns until 2025, and Vlasic until 2026. Now, the belief industry-wide, everyone I talked to this year, is that Vlasic is cooked as a top four defenseman. Not happening. And I've got to admit that, too. And I, held out, I held out some hope this summer. Um, I actually did not dislike Vlasic's game back to 2019-20. I thought he was still he still had a little something in him. But uh, since we've come back from uh, the, the shutdown, COVID, all that stuff, not to say there's anything to do with it. But his game has been in, in, in a decline, really, since 2017, 18 or so. And it just has rock rock bottom pairing. <laughs> yeah, that's so, one cooked pickle. Yep, yep, yep. And it is what it is. And the, also, too, the belief is, and we've seen that 
at least we've seen the evidence of the Sharks don't want Kane around. I mean, just think about how hilarious this is that the you know Sharks are dealing with their COVID issues, et cetera, et cetera. And again, uh, they have a 30-goal scorer, NHL 30-goal scorer sitting there in AHL that that's how much they don't want him around. <laughs> so. Yeah, and we've talked about how much their There's, offense has stunk and has needed to yep. get help. And yep. they still and there is an answer. I know. I, I see all your tweets. Of course, uh, there is an answer, and there in the shark system. Uh, in the you know, he's a shark's asset, but they don't want him around. So, so scratch uh, both of those guys out, Vlasic and Kane. But there's a good chance, though, that you're going to have to have or keep Couture, Carlson, and Burns around. And most people believe, too, that the Sharks want to keep Hurdle, too. So there's four guys there. And so this ends up being a situation. Like it or not, you've got at least a few big long-term contracts that aren't likely to go anywhere. So Anyway, going back to the original question, you know, what's the point of trying to win? Um, you know, I wanted to set the cap situation and what we're dealing with before we answer that question. And we're not talking about win at all costs, trade for Jack Eichel, that sort of thing with the Sharks. You know, that I think most people agree that this team is not in that place. Uh, most people. But what we're talking about is more, let's roll the dice with what we've got in the Carlson, Couture, Burns, Hurdle, uh, Meyer, whatever, right? Make the little improvements around the team, like a Benino, Cogliano, Reimer, cheaper, less term. Hope the young guys improve. Guys like Rager, then try to make the playoffs with all these elements as the Sharks are trying to do now. So anyway, this was the take of the up-and-coming, the younger NHL executive. You know, what's the point of the Sharks trying to make the playoffs? He personally believes, you know, this is sort of, people associate this with old school thinking, but he believes that it's important to keep up a culture of winning. And I know the culture of winning in San Jose when we talk about from Thornton to Pavelski to Couture obviously isn't the same because now with Couture and it's not obviously it's obviously not all in Couture's hands, but they haven't made the playoffs with him as a captain. But you jettison a Couture or a Burns or a Hurdle, and that's the last remnants of the foundation that a Marlowe Thornton built of the Sharks near dynasty. And a few people will, of course, say, you know, cluck and say, well, those guys didn't win the cup. You know, those guys were playoff losers, et cetera, et cetera. But again, it's really, really hard to do what the Sharks have done uh, in the first 15 or so years of Doug Wilson's tenure. Consistent cup contender and Marlowe and Thornton, whatever they didn't do in the playoffs at times. And I agree that there were things to critique about their play in the playoffs, but consistently in terms of in the locker room, in the 
training room especially you know great examples for the younger teammates about how to take care of your body etc etc and also they held guys accountable in their own way you know thornton might have been too too much so at it which is why he lost his captaincy but still though you know these are guys that either held you accountable like a thornton or they kind of embarrassed you into getting your game together like a Marlowe, just a mr professional type So the take of this of 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 uh, this source is that if you allow a losing mindset to seep into your organization and he wasn't talking specifically about uh Carlson or a Burns or whoever but he thinks though that once you have that losing mindset the you sort of admit like hey we're tanking forget it you know he believes that the veterans who are left, you know, they start to go through the motions a little bit. And that sets bad examples for the younger players around them that you hope are part of the winning solution in the future. And we're not just talking about a William Eklund. You know, this could be a Mario Ferraro, a Timo Meyer. And speaking hypothetically of Meyer. What could have happened to a Timo Meyer if over the last two years when he wasn't playing great and the team was losing, what if they didn't hold him responsible and try to instill that winning mindset into him over these last couple of years? What if they're like, hey, you know what? You're talented. You can score. Fuck it. Play 20 minutes a night. Don't worry about a defensive end. Just play your best. Score the most you can. <laughs> you know, who knows? It's all hypothetical, you know. Uh, I'm not saying that that uh, a guy like Timo couldn't have dealt with it and grown from that circumstance and been a better player for it in the end. But it's just a thought, though. Uh, obviously, we see with Timo this year a, a different Timo Meyer, and I tend to think that it's because even as they've been losing over the last couple of years and they've had a lot of issues, locker room issues, that sort of thing. But they've tried to kind of. They, they've, they've tried to hold on to the winning culture that a Pavelski, a Thornton, etc. set over the last couple of years through Couture, Hurdle, Burns. They've tried to hold on to that winning culture. And did that kind of rub off on, on Timo eventually? Um, you, I think the Sharks would like to think so. And I don't think it's wild to think that it might have. Uh, because Meyer obviously grew up uh, the first first couple of years under th- those guys Thornton, Saul Marlowe, Pavelski, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And over the last couple of years, when things were going south, uh, though that's still a message that I imagine uh, would have resonated with him. And so, what comes out of it? What comes out of it is a player this year who can help you win uh, in any situation. If, you know, in two years, if they still have them and the team is kind of on its way back up, then guess what? You have a top line winger on your team that knows how to win, to remembers how to win at least. Uh, and it's been instilled in him, you know, good, good habits over the last couple of years, even though the team has been bad. Anyway. So my source here, he told me a great story about when he was a player. One year, his team is dead in the water. The coach does the math. They have about 20 games left to go in the season. 
coach does his math and he he figures that the team has to go something like 16-2 and 2 to make the playoffs. Something ridiculous. The coach tells my guy, "Hey, you got to sell this to the room, to the locker room. You got to sell this that we've got to win 16 of the next 20 games to make the playoffs." My guy's like, "You're fucking crazy. You're <laughs> we're out of the playoffs now." And you want me to go tell the locker room that we're going to win 16 in the next 20 games? (laughs) But that's the coach talking. So my guy, even though he doesn't believe in the message, he delivers the message. And lo and behold, the team goes on a tear and they make the playoffs. My guy says that was the most fun that he's ever had as a player. And that team didn't last in the playoffs. You know, it didn't lead them to, you know, the, the finals or whatever, right? But my guy, at least in his experience, you know, he firmly believes that that coming together of younger and older players that experience helped the younger players on that team in the coming years. It gave them that taste of winning and what it means, why you want to be part of a team that comes together. And also how good it feels when you're winning. So you, so you take away that expectation of winning. You say, man, there's no point in making the playoffs. Fuck this. You take away that expectation of winning. That's a big thing in this guy's mind. And you look at the Sabres, for example, right? They're a very obvious example. And they've lost that winning culture that they had from the Ryan Miller, Daniel Briere years, good decade ago, right? And they're still lost in the woods now, no matter how many high picks they have. Rasmus Dahlin, Jack Eichel, you name it, right? So his opinion was that tanking doesn't always work as much as people think. And in his mind, great players still come out of the mid mid at first round. Barzol, Pasternak, Tomas Hurdle, to name a few. And so you have to rely on your on your scouting, of course. And most importantly, you always just put your best forward with what you've got. And another thought about that, too. You know, if you're relying on... I know it helps to have the number one pick, the number two pick, etc., etc. No doubt, no doubt. But you're scouting, even if you have the number one, number two pick, your scouting staff still needs to come up with gems in the second, third, fourth, fifth rounds, etc. So you basically got to have a good scouting staff no matter what, right? Yeah. And so in theory, this good scouting staff is going to be able to figure it out if, hey, you're a purgatory team and you're picking in the mid first. Or, hey, you're a good team like the Sharks have been for so long and you got to draft late. Yeah. Um, so this is just in theory, of course. And the Sharks have been... Uh scouting well enough to be able to i mean and it shows how well they've scouted over the last 15 years to be able to find great players um, while continuing to compete 
year after year. You know, you look at guys like Mario Ferraro, you look at even, yeah, granted, Ryan Merkley's fall has what was due to some character issues, but you, you see the talent that's still there. And like you said, Tomas Hurdle. So it's, it's not like you're not going to get great players after the first three picks or the first 10 picks in the draft. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll see about the recent vintage of Sharks picks, but yeah, I mean, by and large, though, in these, in in that uh, fifteen or so year run that the Sharks were consistently cup to cup contenders, yes, they traded for a uh, Joe Thornton, uh, but they also drafted a Joe Pavelski, right? Uh, they yeah. drafted a Mark Edward Vlasic, they drafted a Justin Braun, guys like that, and so yeah, you know. Uh, my guy mentioned actually that in his mind, uh, like actually he goes back to the tank doesn't always work as well as people think, because you got to have a good scouting staff to be, to begin with. And if you got a good scouting staff, then it kind of, I mean, it matters, but a good scouting staff is going to be able to figure it out wherever they draft. You know, they're going to be able to find you some gems. So anyway, you always have the mindset then, of trying to win the cup, making the playoffs. And of course, you might fall short of your goal, but you always have a winning expectation. And that's why you don't go franchise mode in Angel 22 and go for the complete tank. So the idea here is, again, you've got Couture, Carlson, Burns, maybe Hurdle. You can't get rid of the first two, at least, because your contracts are too long, even though both players are still you know, playing pretty, pretty well this year. Make the best of it. He believes that you can still build a team around Couture, Carlson, Burns, and Hurdle. Not necessarily those four as your core superstar pieces anymore. But maybe they're still good enough not to be a drag on William Eklund when he comes into his prime. You know, they could still be very useful, albeit overpaid players in the coming years. And you combine those big contracts with guys on entry levels or bridge contracts like Eklund, Bordolo, whatever, and whoever else you draft in the future. And that comes together to be still a pretty good team. Maybe. You know, that's sort of the hope there, right? Yeah, now, I mean, um, really quick, if I could interrupt you. I mean, he makes yeah, great great points on, on pretty much everything. You want to continue to establish that winning culture that you so desperately want to instill in your younger players. And I feel like this is a, a great point and a great counter-argument to the, the, full, the full tank team that, that's out there. Yeah, and I know that, you know, winning culture, that's so cliche. That's not something that fans, myself sitting uh, in the press box, we we can't see that. That's hard to see. You know, it's not tangible. Um, But it is a real belief among young and old hockey executives. And if it's something that you prize or, you know, if this argument that we've made it makes you reconsider it. Just think about how long it took the Sharks to establish this winning culture uh, that 
you know, they've basically, it's sort of carried over to some degree from the Dean Lombardi years and the late 90s when Daryl Sutter was the coach, Patrick Marlowe was coming up, and it kind of led into Doug Wilson taking over in 2003. Marlowe was still a big part of the leadership there, and they trade for Joe Thornton in 2005. Thornton is a San Jose institution for 15 years. Along the way, they draft Lasik, Pavelski, a uh, number of uh, guys of that ilk and that uphold the winning culture. So they spent so long to establish this. And you still have pieces of it around, good pieces of uh, good pieces of it around in Couture, Burns, Hurdle. You know, do you want to just vaporize it in in an instant? I mean, maybe you do, <laughs> but uh, but I maybe you don't though, uh, because to establish that again took so long, and they've. They've kept it, you know, remarkably for for so long, this sort of uh, tradition. And yes, it's been tarnished over the last couple of years, but it's not gone yet. And a counter argument might be, well, let's start a new Wayne tradition with with somebody else. Yes, indeed. Yes, that 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 you can think of it that way. Or you can think of how to carry it on from a Couture to a Mario Ferraro to a Timo Meyer, because maybe those are the two, and uh, actually Tomas Hurdle. Uh, you know, maybe those are the guys that can carry the Sharks forward in the coming years and transition the Sharks out of, you know, when they shed these kind of, these kind of good... Albatross-esque right, contracts. Maybe good players, good leaders, but bad contracts. And, but those... Good leaders, bad contracts have been influences that you want on a Timo Meyer, on a Mario Ferraro, um, on a Tomas Hurdle. And then those, you know, the, those three I mentioned, the the younger guys there, Hurdle, Meyer, Ferraro, then they instill, they carry on that, that winning tradition with and William Eklund and so on. No, I mean, it's all valid points. I get it. And that's, uh, like you said, coming from an up-and-coming NHL executive. But you also, you spoke to your other source who you said is a veteran GM. What's what's his take on this? Does he give a, a different perspective as to why the Sharks should continue to push? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he, he does believe, obviously, in a winning culture, too. But he is a little more maybe uh, thinking about it a little more practically. And he asked Point Blake. Does making the first round of the playoffs help your attendance? So that's, you know, real, like, you know, upper management thinking right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ticket sales, baby. <laughs> Revenue. And does Doug Wilson have job security? You know, is he able to kind of do what he wants? He's not forced to try to win now. He's not trying to, he's not forced to try to do this or that, right? Yeah. And, the answer is no on attendance. The Sharks are about 10, 11,000 a game. Uh, I don't believe, I think it'd be naive to think that getting to the first round and getting swept by the Golden Knights is going to do much for attendance. Like uh, 12,000. Yeah, right. And of course, you know, COVID is obviously, obviously still an issue too. Um, yeah. So no, it's not going to help attendance. 
I think the belief in general is that Doug does have job security to do what he wants. Uh, there is some belief that, or we don't know if the if the Sharks think that that they can go through a complete rebuild that their their fan base can take it, so to speak. Uh, I know there's been some some debate about that. That's for another podcast. Uh, I will say that if the Sharks do not think their fans can take it, I do I do think that Sharks fans are smart enough to be able to handle a complete rebuild. Um, and I know that some teams do kind of go through that and and uh and it's a good thing but i again though yeah i guess we're kind of going on a tangent here but um i don't think the sharks are in place right now again with their contracts to do a complete rebuild uh just not realistic but i do think the fan base can take it if it comes to a time that the sharks need to do that but anyway so the veteran gm my other source he recommended a soft dump of contracts. Kind of a slow drain to stripping it bare. Basically, take what you can get for any of the big contracts as long as you're not the one paying. So somebody wants to give you 50 cents on the dollar for Brent Burns? Sure. But also means trading away some sacred cows for some of the fans here. You know, this means that hurdle is gone by the trade deadline. This also means actually that Carlson, if somebody buys his hot start right now, is gone for a Mark Andre Flurry price or whatever you can you can get for him. I don't think you can still because I don't think he's put up enough tape, uh, enough uh, examples this year that you know he's fully back in in everybody's mind around the league. But that's something you start to consider, though, right? That if you're really thinking this way, that okay, you can't do the complete rebuild like right now. You know, you don't want to fire sale it and attach a bunch of first round picks to get rid of your contracts because that's just, you know, you're just kind of fucking yourself there by doing that. Right. So, okay. But if somebody comes to you at a certain point this season and Carlson is still excelling and someone says, Hey, we want the player. We don't love the contract. So, you know, we're not going to give you a lot for him. You know, we'll give you uh, a F-level prospect uh, just so we can clear the entry-level prospect number, or we'll give you a seventh-round pick, or we'll give you a bad contract that's not as bad, but still bad, <laughs> clear, so clear our books a little bit. Maybe, maybe you do that at that point. Maybe. But again, though, you know, you're going to be trading away a couple of fan favorites, Allison Hurdle. And, you know, for a certain segment of the Sharks uh, fan base, Carlson. Uh, But, you know, is that the prudent thing to do? Uh, That's what this guy thinks. And then that's, of course, assuming he will even waive his full no move. Oh, yes, that's good. Thank you for reminding me of that. That's always sort of, yeah. So, um, yep, that's always important. Always have to add the the DW uh, special. Yep, the the DW guarantee. So, (laughs) yeah. Stay, and there's only three places we'll trade you to. So, <laughs> yeah. It's like shit. Where do I sign? <laughs> Not Arizona. Hot damn! Here we go. <laughs> 
No offense, Arizona, but I mean, come on. <laughs> we did just allow you to score seven goals on us, though. So, like, there you go. There's your stats. So, yeah, regardless, you know, so keep a few big contract guys as one of my sources is sort of leaning toward uh, or go for kind of the, the soft dump. Uh, both of my sources here agree that you can't rush a complete teardown here. It's just not feasible. Uh, you know, I, if you look online, people say rebuild, rebuild now. It's just yeah. not, not, not possible. Uh, you know, you can do it slowly, yes, but you can't do it quickly. You got to do it carefully, as you should do, you know, most things when you're talking about roster construction. So once you get to the point uh, where you, you have stripped it bare and you don't have these, I want to get out of here veterans around, then maybe you can kind of tank there at that point, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but that's not San Jose situation now. And again, you know, that winning culture, you know, if you go into that tank, that has to be done carefully, too. So you tank, but you don't let a losing culture fester. And so that's a very delicate balance there because you're losing 50 games a year or whatever. And you're trying to teach young players to play the right way and to keep a good mental attitude about things and that sort of thing. So that's definitely a delicate balance. And so I understand trying to protect that, um, maybe not at all costs, but that that is indeed a more valuable thing than I think people are giving credit uh, or giving uh, giving it the credit for. And because it's not something you can see on the ice, you know, it's not goals and assists. I get that. Yeah. But basically, you know, make the best of it with what you have. I think that's what the two sources would sort of agree on that it's not a rush situation and make the best of it with what you have. That means that if you got a team that can scratch it out, like the Sharks are to their credit, you know, they're scrapping it out. They're not a playoff, even a, a playoff favorite right now. Right. I, I think they're uh 10th in the West or something like that in points percentage. So they're not even in the top eight in that, but they are a more competitive, better team than they are last year. And so why tell them that that's not the goal of the franchise? Give up on it. Uh, we're going to tank. We're going to go for Shane Wright or, you know, Connor Bedard next year or whatever. Uh, you know, there are consequences to doing something like that. And that's what uh, especially uh, the the up-and-coming exec guy was trying to, to, to tell me about. Because it's easy in my position from the from the press box, you know, having never, never really played uh, to say, well, you know, let's let, yeah, let's, let's, let's try to, let, let's just try to accumulate picks and uh, let's not think about things like, like culture so much. It's easy for, for a guy like me to say. And, and, and me as well. So yeah, <laughs> I'm in that same boat with you, Shane. But uh, anyway, uh, these were, Two guys' takes on the shark situation. Two educated guys' takes on the shark situation. Um, you know, my take in general, I've sort of sprinkled it in here and there as we talk. But yeah, I agree that a quick teardown is unhealthy. A complete tank right now is unhealthy in my mind. Hey, we want to take a quick break to thank this week's sponsor, DraftKings. Hockey fans, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, 
has a no-brainer offer that'll make you a winner once any shot gets past the goalie. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores. The NHL got rid of ties in 05, so you know someone's going to score. And don't worry, if Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, not to fret. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contests. It's pretty simple, folks. Just download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, throw down $1 on any NHL game, and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So what's the point of making the playoffs for the Sharks? It's to keep up that expectation of winning. Keep that alive in the Sharks' room for the next generation of Sharks. Once again, the Ferraros, the Myers, the Eklunds. So that means talk about winning. Make that the expectation. Yes, it's a little bit, I'm not going to say two-faced, but you can read the lines a little bit when Doug Wilson says, I believe this is a playoff team, and then he doesn't do anything in a trade deadline to support it. Or I believe this is a playoff team, but he doesn't fire Bob Bugner when Bob Bugner doesn't make the playoffs. You know, you can roll your eyes when Bob Bugner talks about Sharks code and things like that. But for the health, you know, if you're looking from a fan side, for the health of the franchise that you guys love so much, I think that it does make sense to talk about winning and to keep that going in the room. Even if it's not going on in ice so much and they miss the playoffs again, you want that, you want the locker room to be a healthy winning place, a healthy winning mindset attitude place for William Eklund when he comes, right? Yeah. So in the big picture, You know, what's the point of trading, say, Eric Carlson's contract with a couple of first-round picks? Contract Carlson's contract, signing Carlson's contract, might have been shooting yourself in the foot. But trading it away with top picks is shooting yourself in the foot twice. <laughs> so why not try to win with him, build around him with younger, cheaper players like the Sharks are trying to do? And it is kind of the what choice do you have, but credit to the Sharks. In this situation, they've dug up uh, Barabanov, Middleton, uh, guys like that, Kanijov last year, Balzers, you know, maybe one or two of these guys. These guys might be able to help you win in the coming years. They might be winning type players. run out the con- the clock on the long contracts. You know, that's what I believe Doug Wilson is doing, and I, that makes sense to me. 
don't sign any new long terms. And that maybe includes uh, Tomas Hurdle. But I also understand the attraction of Tomas Hurdle. Great player, homegrown, fan favorite, also a culture setter, too. Talk to people in the Sharks organization who believe that he is in the lineage of uh, Pavelski, uh, Kator, uh, leading to Hurdle as, a, you know, uh, basically, again, a driver of culture and a locker room, a it's winner. A future captain. Maybe, yeah. So, you know, I'm torn a little bit there, uh, I, I think. You know, I think I would understand if the Sharks were to sign him to an eight-year contract. But this obviously is a Sharks team that really should be avoiding the long-term contracts. And there are obviously red flags with Tommy, too, mostly with his knees, of course. And as for the pre-existing big contracts, I do get sort of the soft dump mentality that uh, the veteran GM I talked to talked about, that if you do get an offer and you don't have to pay to give up a Couture or a Burns, then you consider it. You don't shut the door on it. Uh, but I do think also, though, that the Sharks do very much value, besides their play on the ice, even if it wasn't what it was five years ago, it's still pretty high caliber from both of those guys and you get also that element of leadership on the ice off the ice i mean you think about you know the next line of sharks fan favorites mario ferraro and how it's so obvious that Burns has been a positive influence overall on a Ferraro. And yes, you can say that Ferraro had his own winning mentality coming into the Sharks just as a kid drafted. But you want to put a guy like Ferraro, you know, great. You know, if you have a kid with such a great attitude, uh, work ethic like a Ferraro, right? Don't you want to put him in a winning mindset, a winning culture where he can interact with with players of a like mind right instead of putting him in a place where he's the only guy who's trying to win or he's the one same guy in a asylum right and <laughs> i think you you want you yeah you want to avoid that and so same thing with eklund too you want to put this even if you're not, again you're not just because you're not winning on the ice doesn't mean that you can't have a winning culture in your locker room a winning mindset and guys like Couture and a Burns do help set that. A hurdle. They help they help set that. And when you see a Ferraro and um you you guys, you know, you uh, fans aren't allowed into Sharks practice now, but a couple of times we've seen Ferraro and Burns come out of the the Sharks practice locker room biking out of the Sharks uh biking out of, uh, out of the the Sharks Sharks ice together um things like that and those are sort of again things are being passed that way that winning culture whatever uh Patrick Marlowe a Joe Thornton taught Brent Burns is going to a Mario Ferraro now uh, Burns actually talked about that recently talking about his 1200th game and he thanked, or he mentioned in particular, Mike Potenza and Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe. Potenza is the strength and training coordinator of the Sharks. But 
of Thornton and Marlowe, Burns said in particular, that you spend a couple games with them or you spend a couple hundred games with them and you learn a lot from them. Again, just how they prepare um, for a game, their training during the summer, uh, how much they... Yep, <laughs> ice baths, exactly. <laughs> How much they, they love coming to the rink, uh, practice or game day, things things like that. And that gets sort of passed down to a Mario Ferraro, who, again, maybe was always going to be a kid with a great attitude, but maybe it gets passed to a kid who is kind of in between, uh, who maybe wasn't going to be a clear culture setter or wasn't from, from the beginning, like a Ferraro. But it gets passed down to a Timo Meyer, who is a phenomenal talent, but who was not mistaken for a culture culture setter in his the first few years, right, with the Sharks. He was no Mario Ferraro in, in that way, right? Yeah. And so that's a guy in between. And that's a guy that you definitely want good influences in to bring out the Timo Meyer that we're seeing this year. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Shang, but I believe uh, Ryan Merkley actually stayed with Brent Burns. Uh, right, right. Bit. And Merkley so. is one of those kids that obviously, you know, how he dropped in the draft, like he might be a kid that's not even in between or not even on the positive side, like Ferraro from the beginning. You mm. know, Merkley is an incredible talent, but maybe on the character side, at least people's belief perceptions are more on the negative side to start with. And so you put him in the positive Sharks culture, maybe he has a chance. We'll see. I, you know, I'm still a little bit uh, uh, not sure so out on that one. Yeah, elements of his game, but being in the right kind of culture though gives uh, immense talent, but not maybe not a great locker room guy a chance. And hey, you know what? It hasn't worked either, right? That's uh, that's the thing that they tried with Evander Kane. Yeah, looks like it's backfiring spectacularly on them. But <laughs> to put it mildly, but it doesn't change, though, that you want and of course, you can't always have it, but you want a, a good, positive place for uh, William Eklund to enter into when he joins the league full time, a Thomas Bordolo, whoever they draft in the future. Uh, I just wanted to go back to something you said. I know I've brought up Merkley a couple times now, but yep. you said, you know, the Sharks could have taken that approach with Timo Meyer of just, you know, fuck it, go out there, be an offensive powerhouse, yeah. put as many points as you want, and screw being, you know, a good defensive player. Um, I'm going to, like, roll that over onto my, my Ryan Merkley argument and, you know, being patient with him and how the Sharks have been with his, both his character development and his mm-hmm. uh, defensive development, you know. Ryan Merkley may not fester. Well, I mean, he may not turn into an 82 point guy or a Brent Burns type of guy, right? Um, would you rather have an 82 point scoring guy who's toxic in the locker room or a 40 or even a 30 point guy on the blue line, but is has the winning culture established in them to help drive the players around them? And well, I think. The Sharks have kind of made that statement known with what they've done with Evander Kane. Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> you, you, you have a guy who's put up the most points for your team, but you don't want him around because of who he is, essentially. So you you want the guys that have the character along with the scoring. And if the scoring's there, then it's great. But you, you're a team at the end of the day. You're a family at the end of the day. You guys have 
values together that matter. And if one of you doesn't buy into the system or into the values, then they become an outcast. And that's not what you want in in your locker room. So I think it's important that, yeah, everyone advanced stats, uh, regular stats, fancy stats, everything in between. Yeah, but what that player can bring that doesn't show up on the stat sheet can be just as important as what they bring on the stat sheet. And yeah, I know that uh, some fans will tear their hair out at this, but would you rather have, and going back to your uh, very apt example, would you rather have a Vander Kane in your locker room or a Nick Bonino? And the Sharks have made their choice very, very clear here. And yeah, <laughs> you're missing a lot of goals there, a lot of flash, a lot of fun. Uh, but maybe you're winning a little bit more overall, and also maybe you're teaching the guys around you uh, better kind of lessons. Yeah, I'm sure Jasper Weatherby is looking at the way Nick Benino is playing both net front power play and just not the fastest guy, not the greatest shot, but what can you bring on the ice, off the ice, that can make those around you better? Stanley Cup champion, back-to-back Stanley Cup champion, right. Nick Benino, that is. Right, so. right, right. And, yeah, so finally, just on the final point of my thoughts of, you know, should the Sharks, what's the point of the Sharks making the playoffs and just sort of their direction? Absolutely no more big splashes, no Eichel, nothing like that in the coming years. The Sharks don't have the resources to trade for that. And also, too, there's no reason for it because an Eichel or somebody like that isn't going to take them to the Cup. But... You write out the next few years, and you hope that the vets that you keep, whoever they are, they pass on that winning culture to Eklund and company. Yeah, I mean, that's that's all you can hope for as a franchise. We've brought up examples of uh, teams in culture purgatory where it seems like um, no matter how many first-round picks they have or how many great players they have they just can't seem to put together a long-standing group of guys that want to stay where they're at and play for the coach that they're buffalo ottawa yeah i mean you can even go and say new jersey you know it's taken them a minute to get out of that that peter DeBoer slump that they've had after their their failed cup you know and um you you take a look at what Maybe the Rangers have done and how they did a slow leak of their their veteran players, but they allowed the majority of their vets to bring guys in or or have understudies essentially and have guys like Zabanajed and all those guys learn how to play the game, that New York Rangers style game. So if that's something the Sharks can benefit off of in let's say two to three years, where they have a lot of their younger players, Tristan Robbins, Ozzy Weisblatt. William Eklund, uh, even Ryan Merkley, Daniel Gushin, if any of these guys can come up and be producers for the Sharks alongside the veterans that they currently have, that's what you're looking for. Yeah, and you bring up a good example with New Jersey, and that's actually an instructive one for me to look back on because they're a team when they get to 2012 in a final with uh, Peter DeBoer as their head coach, an unexpected final run for them, by the way, but they're doing it with sort of the last remnants of the sort of classic New Jersey devils leadership. 
especially with uh, Martin Brodeur as their goalie that year. And since that point, you know, they've sort of had that slow leak of Zach Parise leaving as a free agent and things of that nature. You know, Parise, who came up under who came up under the winning culture of the who came up under the winning culture of the of the Devils, and that slow leak, and it's taken them a while to get back in a place where they are competitive, really at, at all. Yeah, you're looking and, at almost ten years later now for them. To yeah, they made the playoffs once in the you know since I think uh, that uh, that cup run. And so looking, I'm just looking over that 2012 roster, right? It might remind you of the Sharks in 2016 or 2019. You, know, you have Martin Brodeur at 39, Patrick Eliash at 35. I think those might be the only kind of long-term devils on, on that team. And... <clears throat> Anyway, uh, a guy like Parise who came up under under a guy like uh, Eliash or whatever, right? And there is there is there there is that kind of value of passing that on and moving that forward. And so I think what happened in Jersey is instructive, uh, maybe for the Sharks and what you don't want to do. And actually, I'm not sure. That's something I have to look back on. I'm not exactly sure what happened to the devils uh but that's something to look back on and maybe learn from if you're the sharks yeah and i think that, that kind of caps off what we were talking about this episode with um you know it if i give my final thoughts here before we close this out um why do you make the playoffs uh, and you know we've said it in so many different ways and i think the the one word that you're looking for is just culture as cliche and as overplayed and as cookie cutter as it may sound, it seems as if that's the only answer that would make any sense. Um, one, you know, we, we know about the Sharks' constraints as far as their cap situation goes. Um, and it makes it extremely difficult to be able to kick off a full rebuild. But it's important to bring these players into a certain level of expectation. And the expectation is winning. It's not just you've been drafted in at this high level because of how great you are. Just go do what you're supposed to do. No, the the end goal is to win uh, regardless of if you're scoring 30 goals or if you're only scoring 15, but you're helping everyone else around you score goals, whether it be uh, mentally on the stat sheet as a leader, as a, as a teammate, as a close friend, whatever it is, it all boils down to culture. Right. And actually, you know, looking back further on the devil's example, I just wanted to, uh, I'm just looking at hockey reference right now, having some fun with it. Uh, I mentioned in 2012, by the time that devil's team makes that surprise run to the finals, they only have uh, Brodor and Eliash kind of from the, the glory days. But then you look at just two years ago, right? And using Zach Parise as sort of that example, maybe the Timo Meyer example, because Zach Parise was 25 in 2010. And look at the, the old school Devils names on 
the 2010 roster. Still a pretty good Devils team, by the way. Uh, yeah, 103 points. Uh, won the Atlantic Division. But Brodor, Brian Ralston, uh, Jay Pandolfo, Jamie Langenbrunner, Eliash, Colin White. Classic New Jersey Devils. And Parise was 25 at that point, right? And is that something that rubs off on a younger player? I think absolutely it does. And so, anyway, yeah, it's a, that's a great example you brought up about the Devils. It kind of got me into that 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 uh, history rabbit hole, and maybe I'll, I'll write an article about it because I think that probably is going to be instructive for the San Jose example in terms of what do you do as your core players get older, your leadership. And how do you keep it going, kind of? And maybe you can't, you know, the Devils, you know, maybe you got to be in the woods for a while, um, get those graphics a little bit, and find the the leaders again, be it for the Sharks. It could be a Mario Ferraro as your next captain. Uh, for the Devils, maybe it's going to be a Jack Hughes. I don't know. But so maybe you got to be in the woods for a while there. But Maybe though, maybe you can you can you can pass on that winning culture from as the Devils did, right? From a Scott Stevens to a Martin Brodeur to a Zach Parise. And maybe the Sharks can manage to do that from Thornton to Pavelski to Couture to Meyer, maybe. Yeah, and that's and to Eklund, what... right? That's the hope, right? Yeah, that's what that's what I'm I'm assuming they want to do, and that's expectation moving forward. And uh, how ironic that uh, the same head coach essentially helped kick off both of those uh, minor rebuilds or retools, is what we'll call them, in uh, Peter DeBoer. So, well, I'm I'm gonna give <laughs> I'm not gonna fault Pete for that because he took no, teams no, no, that just... no one expected to make the finals in the 2012 Devils and the 2016 Sharks. And he got yeah. the most out of them to bring them to the finals. So yeah, can't no, uh, not... <laughs> can't 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 fault him for being uh, there at not the very last days of the Roman Empire, but uh, maybe the 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 last century of the Roman Empire. So just uh, good timing, and he got the most he got the most out of those chariots. All right. So <laughs> yeah, I'm not faulting Pete. I'm just saying it's kind of funny or coincidental that. He happens to be the head coach of both aging teams that shouldn't have gone as far as they did, but did. So, well, Shang, I think that uh, I think that pretty much wraps it up for us today. And when I say us, I mainly mean you. You kind of backpacked my uh, my my hoarse voice here throughout this entire episode. So. Uh, maybe that'll sway hey, some people to go to San Jose Hockey Now. Glad to put you on on my back, buddy. Uh, you know, <laughs> be the the big shoulders of of Tom Hurdle here, or the big butt and big shoulders of uh, Tom Hurdle here. It just, I can just imagine you attempting to actually carry me on, or carry me <laughs> on your back. So imagine that for those that have seen both Shang and I in real life. Oh uh, yeah, we've got about a six inches or more uh, difference, and. <laughs> That's me uh, on the on the, le- on the on the lesser end of the stick there for sure. So, well, <laughs> uh, yeah, it would be like William Eklund carrying Brent Burns. Actually, if you ever, if you guys I have think... seen that hilarious picture of uh, Burns and Eklund, I think hugging in the in the preseason, and it looks like uh, Gandalf hugging uh, Frodo. So, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's that's the best comparison we could do there. Eklund to Burns. So, <laughs> all right, folks, that's uh 
that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Thank you again for uh, for listening in with us uh, this entire year because we are. This is the final episode of 2021. Um, with that, I will give you my PSA. Obviously, don't drink and drive. That's that should be the most obvious PSA on planet. But for some reason, that continues to go in some people's ear and out the other. Um, make sure you guys are all staying safe out there, taking care of yourselves better than I take care of myself, apparently, the irony there. Um, But most importantly, again, take care of yourselves, love your family, love your friends, and stay hydrated. Hydrated drive, guys. Don't drink and drive, hydrated drive.